Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, It's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan romash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to i'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information Everybody and welcome to the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. And as you can probably already hear, we are on location. I'm here with Alex Lowe, rugby correspondent of the Times. Can you fill us in, set the scene for the listeners? Where are we? We're at County Hall in Waterloo, London, for the launch of the Six Nations. Uh, there's a musician playing in the background. We've had about four hours of interviews with, with coaches and, and captains. And Will sitting here with a pint of Guinness that's just had his face on it. There's, there's latte art... And then there's Guinness with your Printed, portrait yeah. on the top. It's kind of half gone now. Uh, double zero Guinness, let's make that clear to start double with. Double zero, um, yeah. Come on, sponsor's product. Do we have to keep mentioning the sponsor's product? No. Or is that a bit too... So, Six Nations launch is an annual bun fight of, of, of interviews and access. And um, actually, I think this year has been really interesting. Yeah. Um, Loads going on. Lots of news, lots of issues. Lots of news, breaking as we're here. Lots of things to discuss. Tackle height new coaches returning coaches it's going to be an interesting six nations and and actually as these things go it's been quite a good one yeah absolutely whether we've been first one back in person for a few years and in the last few years with covid and everything else the struggle of these was looking at your laptop wandering around your spare room going god why isn't this not working but it's been great to actually look at people in the eye speak to them face to face and coming up on the pod just to flag right away we've got a couple of exclusive interviews Gregor Townsend, the Scotland coach, is talking to us a bit later on to tee up England-Scotland and everything to do with that. And we're also going to speak to Ben Morrell, who's Chief Executive of the Six Nations, about lots of different things. Netflix, they're coming on board, they're filming. Global Calendars, South Africa, Georgia. We'll tee that up and speak to him about that. But before we get into all that stuff, shall we cover off some of the breaking news that's happened this morning, Alex? Yeah, so just as we stepped out of the lift in County Hall, um, England confirmed couple of injury withdrawals from their squad George McGuigan the Gloucester hooker and Courtney Laws the England vice captain both pulled out of the squad now Steve Borthwick went on to, to say that, that that was really for this week and that a decision will be made about 
test week uh, in in forthcoming in time. But I think I think it's probably safe to say that Courtney Laws and George McGuigan are unlikely to to be involved in in the England game against Scotland on February the fourth. Now England have got lots of options in the back row. So as much as they want Courtney Laws involved, as much as they want him for his leadership as well as his outstanding ability and and to, and to be that line out option at six, they have options at, in the back row. Um, the, the loss of George McGuigan on the back of Jamie George being taken off with concussion for Saracens over the weekend and Luke Howe and Dickey's injury means that England heading into camp this afternoon, Monday afternoon, with a bit of a hooker crisis. Uh, they have Jack Walker, the Harlequins hooker, he's in the camp. Jamie George remains in the camp, but we think he, he may well have a 12-day stand-down, which places him in real doubt to play Scotland well, so that would mean that he would be clear if he passes every day of the protocols from now on the Friday before the match right. so, so he can, he, he can tight. technically play but he'll have done no team training uh, so they so called in today is Tom Dunn so the only thing that we can be sure of right now is that Jack Walker and Tom Dunn are fit are the only two fit hookers in the in the squad that's uncapped Jack Walker and Three, three cap, three cap, Tom Dunn. So there's a yeah, England's England's depth in that position is being challenged. Yeah, there there are concerns back row. The, the options they have there: Ben Curry played really well again in the weekend. Ben Earl, we know how good he is. Jack Willis, who played for Toulouse, started for them on Saturday against Munster, didn't he? Yeah. yeah so they got three good options there. Plus, uh, and Ollie Chesham could could mm. could play that line out jumping six role. But everything that we've heard Steve Borthwick talk about about playing. Six Nations playing against Scotland in particular is the battle on the floor. So sitting here right now, I'd say that the, the flangers will be two of Ben Curry, Ben Earl, and Jack Willis. Yeah, and then just a couple of other injury knocks as well that are slightly less clear. They're going for scans. Elliot Daly, who went off in the Saracens game against Edinburgh with a hamstring problem, and Macavanapola missed the game. He got a foot injury in the warm-up basically. So yet more doubts. And actually, Steve Borthwick talking really positively and upbeat and wants the Twickenham crowd to roll them on and stuff like that, but he's been thrown a whole load of darts early on, hasn't he, with all these injury things. That's not; Those aren't the only darts he's been thrown, by the way. As, Segway. As, <laughs> as, as, as England head coach being asked to, to answer for all sorts of things going on at Twickenham, from how the RFU handled Owen Farrell's ban to, to now how they're handling the, this, uh, this new tackle law. Um, no one from Twickenham has been prepared to talk. They put up the head coach. So he's been handed a lot of difficult decisions uh, to make a lot of tricky situations to deal with. The one thing he's said from the outset about injuries is that it's a no excuse mentality. You know, uh, England used to used to list all the injured players on, on their team announcements, on their squad lists, um, to the point where Rato Nalagu, the, the Bristol Wings' first ever kind of recognition as, as a, clearly a member of the EPS, was, was to be listed as an injured player who wasn't available for selection in, in the autumn. Uh, England aren't doing that now. It's a case of we pick from what we have and, and no excuses. And, and I think that's, I think that has to be the right approach for England because they have so many quality players. And I think if you're if you're Wales and you lose three, four, or five, you you, it's understandable you're going to struggle. England England's options are are, are bounteous in in almost every position. Not every position. I think tight head prop. I think tight head prop. They'd struggle if they lose another one. But they they have so many players. And yeah. and Steve's attitude, I think quite rightly, is is we deal with who we have. Mm. And and obviously we know that Courtney Laws would make make England's options stronger. Clearly Jamie George, if he's fit, makes England stronger. 
but if they're not here, he's he doesn't want to dwell on those who aren't yeah. aren't available, which are, which is just you know. And Eddie Jones didn't didn't as he spoke, but there was always this. Well, we've got 15 players out. Yeah, he would mention the number a lot. He would. He, he mentioned that quite a lot, especially around autumns. It was always autumns, really, wasn't it? It was, and so we won't be hearing any of that from England. Shall we tackle the tackling? Let's so there's sort of two elements to this, and readers of the Times and listeners to the right will know that we covered this extensively in the paper. So the headline news on Thursday from the RFU was that for the entirety of the community game, so that's everything from National 1, below the championship, men's and women's, uni, schools, clubs, everything, from July the 1st will be required to tackle at the waist or lower. Bombshell announcement, no warning, came from left field and annoyed quite a lot of people around the country. That is an understatement. Understatement. That's the thing you referred to earlier yeah. as the the thing that Steve Borthwick was basically the first person from the RFU who was up and talking on the record about it. So that, yes. that, that was a huge news story that got dealt with today and we've already had some criticism. Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell from Ireland yeah, weren't so, so the, keen. The, the reaction um, from around the game has been a mixture of fury, sadness and confusion. There's anger from some people about, about the decision to lower the legal tackle height to, to the waist or below. There's also anger, it, perhaps more anger in the way it's been done. The, the total lack of consultation with the game. And actually, sorry, on that note, as we wrote on, I think it was Friday's online, but Saturday's paper, we understand that they voted on this last Monday, so a week ago from when we were recording this. And there, one of the votes was, should we take four to six weeks to consult with a community game? And the vote didn't pass, so they moved Correct. on to then ratifying yeah. the law coming in. So they actually voted against consultation, which yeah. is a strong thing to do. Yeah, and, and foolhardy, in, in my view, when you're trying to change the game in the way that they are, um, you ha- they had to take the game with them. There were going to be opponents to it, and, and some of them were incredibly vocal. But, you you know, you've got... We've heard Steve Borthwick here today. A week ago, we heard Kevin Sinfield talking about, actually, he how he believes you should tackle. He wants his teams to tackle low. He, wants, he coached Leicester to do so. He'll be doing the same with England that's his philosophy that's his belief why the RFU didn't put him front and centre he would have been amazing PR to, for to, them to try why they didn't AY they didn't trail this they didn't consult the, the, the community clubs players at all so it suddenly lands at midday on Thursday and people are up in arms because their game has changed and there are there are people who recognise the, the need to change but they're they're furious at the lack of consultation and, and it's 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 a classic case of of um, change mismanagement. Yeah, I, I'd say. And um, I'm hearing from from people around the game. They want to call for a special general meeting. They 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 want votes for no confidence in in the council and in in the RFU. They've stirred a hornet's nest here. When they, I I think there were much more effective ways of, of managing it. Now today here, Johnny Sexton. Uh, said that he feel he, he's, he said there's no point beating about the bush here I f- I'm very strongly against the idea of the, the upper tackle height being around the waist and he went on to explain that you know you're you're right into a hip, the hip bone you're into thighs and knees he doesn't like it he, he's talked about that you know you got you try to play a game here with all shapes and sizes you try to play a game where you know a wrap tackle is perfectly 
legitimate going around the, the sternum, around the, the torso. He doesn't like it at all, very against it. Andy Farrell sitting next to him focused more on the, on the coaching element of it. He said the coaching of this will have to be perfect because what you're effectively doing is restricting defenders to one type of tackle, which is sort of the type of tackle we're first taught at school, you know, cheek, cheek to cheek, cheek, cheek to cheek, ring of steel, yeah, which which is what what you're taught as a kid. But it, if that's your only tackle you can make, then we can all think immediately of twenty different scenarios where that is in a, an inappropriate tackle to make. Yeah, defending your own line, or you know, you're the scrum half, and there's a number eight hurtling at you, when you just want to do anything, everything you can to bring him down. Might mean clinging on. Or chasing someone down, tackling them from behind, all that sort of and, thing. And a separate element to it is the ball carrier now is not allowed to dip into contact, which I think is an instinctive thing you do because you're effectively bracing yourself for impact. Yeah. For, for impact, um, if there's a collision which results in a head injury and the ball carrier has dipped into it, the ball carrier can now be. It seems like it can be sanctioned, although there's again there's no clarity to this whatsoever. So Ireland, of, the Irish representatives here have, are really against it. Steve Borthwick, as we said, put in a really difficult position, was supportive of the notion of trying to do everything we can to make the game safer, which was Ken Owens' point, that he wouldn't comment specifically on the waist-high yeah, which yeah. I found interesting as a guy who was six foot six you know, to get down to tackle uh, Danny Kerr around the waist. You know, he might take him a while to get back up. It'll take him a while to get down, and then, you know, mm, it's... Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge subject for debate, and it's a, it's, you know, the RFU have still not made any of their executives available to discuss this. No, they won't, no. They won't answer any questions on it. They promise further clarity down the line, but at grassroots level, I'm hearing from players who say, well, that's me done. I've got six games left of, of the game. I won't be able to play next year because I, you know, I can't. I've got 20 years of muscle memory and instinct that I need to, to change in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an off-season. You've got coaches who only coach at a level six, seven, eight team once a week. How, how are they going to change it? There's so much detail that's missing from this announcement, which is why it, it goes back to it's just a, an absolute PR disaster yeah. for the RFU. Whether you agree with the measures or not, you have to engage the game. You have to take people with you, and that, that's been a, a major factor. You've also got lots of people who don't believe it's the right move. Lots of people like Johnny Sexton. Yeah, yeah. And we're trying to cram in loads on this podcast today. And we will need, I think, probably to have a bit more of a fulsome chat about yeah. this on future rucks and in yeah. the paper, which we will cover. Maybe if there are a few make someone available to yeah. explain it and justify it. We'll have them on it, the pod. Then they'll come on, yeah. But the thing that it does relate to, just quickly, is Jamie George, who we mentioned earlier, who has this 12-day stand-down. Because essentially he, he was one of those standing-up tackles, wasn't it, to Luke Crosby, the Edinburgh flanker, he, I mean, I was watching it on the TV, and it maybe is less clear in the ground, who knows, but to me it looked very clear that he was concussed. The fencing posture, yep. the way that he didn't break his own fall, it looked a bad one. And I think the assumption was just, oh, he'll go off and that'll be it. But he then went for an HIA, which is the wrong process, because if you have even a suspicion of concussion, it's a straight removal, and we've known that for years. And then he came back on, having passed that HIA in the first half but then at half time the independent doctor stepped in and said look come on he's mm. clearly had a clear concussion there so took him off so that was a bit of a shambles in terms of the process but what it means now is this took a crisis but it's, it's all relevant isn't it this tackling situation it, no it, it really is and I guess you could say there that the system 
did work because it, it picked caught up, it eventually. It picked up an error. But he was back on the field for another 10 minutes, yes, maybe, where yeah. he shouldn't have been. Yeah, we, and we've seen that, but we saw that with Jack Noll over in Italy, was that last year? Or yes, last year, yeah. Two years ago. And, you know, and Owen Farrell's here today, England captain who's, who's banned for effectively a high, well, a high tackle because it, it, it clattered Jack Clement on, on the chin. Now, these, the, this law isn't coming in at the elite level. And Owen Farrell would, would say, and he did say in, his, in the evidence that, you know, he had a split second and he dipped, just didn't dip far enough. Community game, even at National 1, they'll have slightly more time. It's a, it's a slower game. But you're asking players to, to dip a lot further. Um, and, I, you know, I think Owen, Owen didn't, didn't offer a comment on it today, but I suspect he would have, you know... Uh, there's a lot of feeling that this could end up being coming into professional rugby because if the data, if the data is there to underpin a decision made by the RFU, and one of the things that I do... I do recognise where the RFU have, have tried to show some foresight here is that World Rugby are going to do the same thing. They've got a proposal that's going to their exec in March that'll then go to the council in May and will then come into force globally at community level from January the 1st. Now, if you're playing for your local club, you know, you take a Christmas break and come back in January and suddenly the laws have changed and you have to tuck around the waist. That's worse than it is now because at, at the very least players, clubs, referees have a chance between now and the start of next season to at least work on it, understand it and, and try and, and adapt to it. I recognise that there's some foresight here from the RFU and they're, they're taking all the heat for this. But if there's the evidence for it at community level, which by the way hasn't yet been published, which is one of the issues or here. Or peer-reviewed. It's currently being peer-reviewed. Mm. That's part of the, the issue here. We've, you spoke to a, a, a scientist Will, who, who's furious that, that there's no evidence published to under, underpin this decision. And what, one of the reasons is that there's no, there's, that evidence hasn't, hasn't yet been published. But, sorry, the point, we go off on a tangent now, the point I was going to make is if that evidence does exist, then the next step would have to be the professional game as well. Yeah, yeah. And it'll change fundamentally how these guys play. Absolutely, Because yeah. of the force and the power that's yeah. involved. Well, talking of the pro game, they've got a pretty large set of pro games coming. Six Nations and starting off for England at least and Scotland is a Calcutta Cup February the 4th and next on the ruck a little teaser a little exclusive with Gregor Townsend the Scotland coach that will be up next Right we're delighted to be joined by Scotland coach Gregor Townsend on the podcast um, Gregor you've been to a few of these are they quite chaotic do you end up feeling like you're saying the same things nine different times to different people ah uh, sometimes they've, they've evolved over the years or having a tiktok and influence yeah. influencer section definitely wasn't the case six years <laughs> what's ago what's your favorite dance on the tiktoks then uh i don't know <laughs> i've <laughs> don't never have seen tiktoks so, um, my son's tell me it's very addictive okay right so on that note i mean trying to grow the game and everything netflix is a new thing mm. what do you make of that i mean you were part of the Living with the Lions in 1997 and yeah. all that. That was kind of the start of it, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose in a rugby audience, like that, that Living with the Lions documentary was, was great. Behind the scenes footage, um, it maybe helped the Lions grow as a, as a team that people wanted to support. Now with this Netflix documentary, we've got a chance um, for the sport to grow, for people in, in Europe that maybe don't follow rugby as closely to suddenly take a big interest and people around the world um, I think the, the success of Drive to Survive is what we're looking for in our sport and I really believe that 
once people know more about our sport, once people know more about the Six Nations, they want to to follow it. It's uh, it's the best sport in the world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I suppose some of the players nowadays are quite used to having cameras in their faces and things like that around training and yeah. team talks. But do you have to be slightly wary of language and things like that, or do you want to just be as authentic as you can around team talks and all that sort of thing? Yeah, we, we have to be authentic because like, our, our job is to to win a game at the weekend and uh, if we are focused on or lose our focus and worried about cameras being there then you're going to lose something I reckon that this generation player is not only more um, comfortable with cameras being in the environment they, um, it's something they look forward to Yeah. Like when you think four or five years ago if you said to a player you've got a day or an afternoon with the media or, day or afternoon with sponsors they would try and avoid it. Now they see it as something that they like doing. It's just like filming um, themselves or putting things on their own Instagram account stories. Uh, it's something that's part of their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the rugby. Edinburgh yesterday had a great result against Saracens. Um, did you see bits and pieces of that game that you can take forward to the Calcutta Cup, do you think? Yeah, elements of any winning performance you, you want to to take um, I thought Edinburgh's physicality was, was very good like it had been down um, at the Stone X uh, in December so bo- both both the um, Edinburgh performances against Saracens have been have been great to watch but test level is another big big jump up um, and it's not just Saracens players you're playing against you're playing players right through the Premiership and, and England have got fantastic depth so we'll need all the players to, to perform with that their best physicality and accuracy um, for us to win. Yeah, you, Scotland have had a really good record over England recent years under your tenure. Is there one key thing you think you've got right on those on those days? Well, back in 2018, we were very accurate, uh, and winning that day has really helped the group. And uh, with the, belief, and yeah, with, yeah, with belief, knowing that um, that we can win against England. If we're accurate, uh, two years ago we were accurate. It wasn't great weather. I thought we um, we nailed our, our lineouts. Our kicking game was really strong that day. <coughs> and you have you have to match England's physicality. They're they're going to bring it in some form, whether it's a mall, whether it's um, a scrum, whether it's a defensive uh, speed that they bring. So you've got to be able to handle that, be accurate. And then get your own game out there. Uh, so we're all working towards. We we train mainly on what we want to do. So transferring that into to Twickenham is is what we're working towards. Yeah. Two new coaches in the boxes this year. Mm-hmm. Um, probably know a fair bit about what Warren's going to bring to Wales. But with Steve, do you almost look at what he did with Leicester and maybe the things that he might bring with Kevin Sinfield as as clues to the game plan England might have? Yeah, I'd say so. I like it's. It's unusual for us not to be... We won't be presenting to our team about England's performances in November, the last few games. We might we might present a little bit on Leicester, especially Kevin Sinfield, because his defence coach in their system is, you'd imagine, is going to be very similar to what he's going to use with England. Uh, but in terms of game plan and philosophy, it's, it is a prediction game. Steve has coached international rugby before. Uh, mm. it, there are differences. But... If you, if you are weighing up um, what sort of game plan it would be, you'd think it would be one based on what he's just most recently coached and also the time that he has and his new coaching team have to put a game plan 
a complicated game plan into place or a complex game plan isn't there just now in your first game. So the basics, the fundamentals, um, and a game that pressurises opposition, I'm sure that's what we're going to get. I suppose on that front, it's almost like coaching a Lions team, I suppose, because you've got such a short window of time to get it right. Does it almost have to be quite, um, I don't know, pragmatic to start with and simple game plan? I would say yes. It has to. It has to be focused on yourself, not the opposition, because really we have you have four training sessions. Um, well, we have four. A lot of teams have a, a fifth one because they can they can uh, rest the players from the weekend. But you got five training sessions. Let's say it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday um, this week, and then Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, and a captain's run. So five training sessions to to put a game in place. You would. You would focus on yourselves if you're a new coaching team. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's an element of surprise of what we we might be doing, um, mm. and we, we've got to take that opportunity. Like England will want to get to a game which gets them going forward, which gets a crowd behind them, which builds some belief, uh, and we've got to make sure that we we surprise them and take them away from the game they want to play. Yeah. Yeah. What could Scotland fans expect from you guys this year? You've had, I think, three fourth places in the last few years, but with different win-loss ratios. So what's success look like for you? Success. It's it's playing well for five games, playing yeah. close to your potential. Uh, in this Six Nations, that might not mean four wins, five wins, three wins, because the quality of our opposition are are so high. But... Our, our supporters now expect us to go in uh, and if we play well we can beat what's in front of us our players expect that and believe that and then it's about taking those chances when they come along yeah yeah last one um, what's the latest with you and your future is this going to be your last Six Nations are you decided on that front yet or well it's, it's not really my decision sure. um, to begin with because my contract does end at the end of this year and uh, if I don't get a contract offer then <laughs> then That's the decision it, yeah. is made so we'll, we'll wait and see I think my focus is on the job at hand which is is very difficult it's very challenging these these first two or three weeks um, but we love it I, lo- I love the I love coaching I love this tournament so yeah. um, we'll address the future after the Six Nations yeah. if this is to be the last one are you proud of what you've achieved as Scotland coach so far are there still things you really want to tick off there's, there's always things to, to improve always things that you you want to do better Um but oh, I suppose over the five years, um, we've, we've had some memorable days and uh, we've given our, our supporters real belief and, and more than just hope. Um, we've given them some great days and that's, that's what we're striving to do again this year. Yeah. Have you had any conversations about the future with other nations or clubs or anything like that yet? No, no. Well, nothing more just interest, let's say, I think. The fact that the Six Nations is around the corner, that's my, my focus. And also, it's it's quite a long while until the end of contracts. It's not its not the end of the season for us international coaches. It's um, at the end of a World Cup, which is already midway into next season. So, we'll see. I do, I do want to stay in coaching. Um, uh, we'll just see what that is after this year. Perfect. We really appreciate your time, Greg. And let you get back to your busy day answering questions. Back to lunch now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the TikToks. Yeah. We've done that. I've done the TikToks. All done. Perfect. Thanks very much, Greg. Thank you. Cheers. Right. Awesome to hear from Gregor Townsend. Not often we get to hear from 
elite coaches like that on the ruck. So brilliant to have his time. And also interesting that we talked about at the top, Netflix. And mm. what, 28 years ago now, 27 years ago, he yeah. was on Living with the Lions. It's all coming around full circle with cameras in dressing rooms. And the thing that I found interesting about that is a top-end elite coach saying, don't sanitise this too much. He's been with cameras on that tour, with them following around in the pub and everything else. And that's the key to getting this Netflix thing right, isn't it? Right, it's massive. So for, um, the first thing I'd say is that one Netflix series, which will be broadcast in a year's time, about this time, 2024, post-World Cup, is not the panacea. It's not the only answer to how we engage more people in the game. But it's a great opportunity to do it, if it's good. And it has to be good. We've watched, I was on the, the Lions tour 2017 when the All Blacks had the Amazon Prime all or nothing cameras in. By the time they produced that into a six-parter, the two episodes around the Lions were were just, were really stale. Thin. They, there was yeah. nothing, there was no insight there. It was just filming me sitting in the press conference room. It was a lot of press conference, it was a lot of formal stuff which is fine, but don't sell it as a behind the scenes. It just didn't... It's not getting kids into the game. It, it got better <laughs> It got better outside of the Lions tour when they went into the Rugby Championship. There were a couple of meetings that were filmed, but I was coming into that off the back of the NFL, All or Nothings, where there was one one season where the coach got sacked and, and they film him addressing the squad before, before he leaves. That's what, you know, you need that level of insight. And um, I think there's a... There are, there are different concerns in, in each of the six nations here about about what gets shown. I think it's, some of it is tactical. Some of it will be, you know, just kind of rugby behaviour, frankly. Like, yeah. how will this be perceived outside of the rugby environment? Essentially, Greg is right. You know, I, no, we don't want nothing offensive needs to be broadcast. Don't get me wrong, but it needs to be it needs to be a bit of rough and tumble. We need to see some of the, you know, some you know players being stitched up like Jono was on, on that Lions series. Like, otherwise, if it's too sanitised, if you're too distant from it, then especially given it's going to come out in a year's time, I actually don't think it will engage. Got to have characters, got to have insight. If they get it right, then it really it has an opportunity to engage a new audience for sure, which is, which is critical, but it's not the only vehicle that, yeah. that they need to work on to do that. Well, segueing lovely there to Ben Morrell, Chief Executive of the Six Nations. He's up next on the right, and there's loads covered in this, from Netflix to Georgia, South Africa, Nations Championship, and everything else. So up next on the ruck, the man in charge of the Six Nations for the last time, Ben Morrell. Ben, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. You? Yeah, good. Do you enjoy these days, uh, going around, talking to lots of people, getting a lot of content made and everything else? You know, of course I do. Uh, you know, it's uh, two weeks off from the from the first weekend of Six Nation, and uh, this one is going to be a special one. So many storylines. So uh, I don't have to say much, really. I mean, all the storylines are there. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, get the tournament uh, starting. Yeah, w- one of the big sort of... I suppose news stories of this tournament is that we're going to have Netflix filming the whole tournament, the Six Nations, a documentary will come out next year. Can you just explain that partnership and why you've decided to go with them? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we're trying to bring rugby to a new audience. We've been saying that for, for several years about how we do that. And that's one way to do it. I mean, there's obviously other th- ways that we can do it with our current broadcasters and keep keep making the the, the, the broadcast experience or even the stadium experience continuously um, uh, better. But, you know, you've got 
a great audience there that need to get exposed to what rugby is on a global scale and celebrate the heroes of the game while they preparing and living and trying to win the greatest championship in rugby. So um, I think also it's important that this is not focused on one particular union, but it's about the Six Nations uh, who all have their own specificities and uh, celebrating the sort of diversity of the Six Nations. So I think that's going to be a fantastic uh, experience. How important was it for you that rugby got involved in that? Because you've seen the success of Drive to Survive in the Formula One. They've had a new couple with the tennis one and there's now a golf one as well. Rugby's getting on the bandwagon now. Do you think that that was a real key thing for you to try and cash in on that success of the other ones? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Drives to Survive is is definitely a good example, but it also has its own specificities as why it was successful. And, it, you know, rugby will have its own way of showcasing itself. And so you also need to be respectful of some of the traditions and what we're doing and the storylines. But yes, this is all about bringing, you you know, a limelight on uh, rugby, not just to uh, the domestic countries, um, but also globally and also within the domestic markets to more casual fans who are in need for great stories uh, and getting to know our athletes better. And uh, that's obviously one of the key ways to do it. Not the only one, but one of the key ways to do it. The one other thing on it is that it's coming out before the next tournament, so 2024 maybe. Was there a consideration of trying to drop it a bit earlier, maybe before the World Cup and build the hype to that? I know it's not your tournament, that one, but could you have brought it forward a little bit maybe? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we need to sort of pick the right moment and, and I think, you know, doing it before the tournament like other sports are doing is probably the, the best way to do it. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's going to be less about the result it's because everything will be known by then but it's about the stories understanding the better the players etc and for us that's a perfect way to lead up into the next year's championship and help our host broadcasters uh, attract new audiences and and you know uh, keep keep the the love of the of the six nation to the levels it currently is and yeah. that's that's obviously the the goal of any of any chief exec in charge of a tournament is your hope that with it that we do really get that behind the curtain stuff that you need in those documentaries and it's not sort of editorialized too much and you because you need that naturalness of it don't you yes i mean you know it 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 can't be staged and so you need that authenticity to your point and so but it's also a journey that's why it has to be a multi-year you need to you know bring everybody along making sure that everybody's comfortable um and so i realized that you know it's, it's a big change. I also realized that, you know, and obviously Netflix and the producers know what it takes to prepare for such a tournament, what it takes to perform at the highest level. So you need to be as discreet as possible while bringing authentic stories and on stage. So that's the goal. It's all a part of this plan to grow the game, isn't it? Which Correct. we talked about a lot. The, the next couple of bits and pieces, well, you've, you've done another thing, a few things to, to do with that, haven't you, with names on jerseys that came in? Um, in the autumn a couple of unions did that do you expect more will follow England and Scotland and Italy who did it in November yeah I mean we 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 see that very positively for the exact same reason as we discussed Netflix we need to celebrate the actors of the show uh, which are the athletes they need to be recognized and while obviously the national team jersey is 
of prime importance. It belongs to no one. It belongs to, to, the, to the national team itself. At the same time, on the day, it does belong to you as a player, and we need to celebrate that. So, um, you know, we are not making that mandatory. Uh, I do think there's a sort of belief in change by osmosis, if you will. Uh, and so every union will need to go at the, at the, at the, at the speed they want. Um, but this is something that we definitely encourage yeah. in due course. The sort of silver bullet with all this, which we talk about a lot at these events, is global calendars and alignment between North and South. Um, the last time we saw you around the autumn, you said that it might be the Nations Championship or whatever that becomes after the next cycle could be decided around May this year. What's the latest on where we are with those discussions and how we're getting yeah. on? There's future, there's future discussions planned. Uh, before the end of our of our tournament with with the, the the right stakeholders so that's the next round and hopefully we can make decisive move uh, as you know I you know I've got no more an agenda here and I, I, yeah. I really believe that this is what needs to happen for the future of the game uh, greater alignment between north and south uh, possibilities for emerging nations to uh, join the elite uh, there's a there's a lot of good aspect in what we are currently planning for July and November and I hope we can make decisive move uh, in the next weeks to come. Does it really need to get sorted soon because a lot of our listeners and our readers will have heard this a lot that it's coming it's nearly there we've nearly sorted it but is this the year where it really needs to get sorted absolutely. otherwise we'll be left behind? Well absolutely I mean you know we're running out of time soon not 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 immediately so that you know we we, we need to bring every stakeholder together on this and it's not easy I can tell you yeah. from uh, from uh, first experience but you know I keep saying when there's a will there's a way and so we've never been as close um, but we're not quite there so you know yeah keep going keep going and uh, until we, we we get that decisive change related to that is the opportunities for emerging nations to play against the top tier nations and there's always a conversation about Georgia at these events isn't there and they had a couple of marquee results last year. They beat Wales, they beat Italy. I, I think I know what your stance is on them at the moment, but can you just update our listeners on the situation with them and possible expansion of the tournament in the future? That's not on the agenda? No, so, I mean, you know, there's no expansion you know, uh, being discussed uh, uh, with anyone right now. Mm. Uh, and I can see the next question coming. But So we're not talking about expansion. Our whole focus is on that July and November window that we can yeah. really have a comprehensive narrative which doesn't impact your participation within the Six Nation. That's what we want to do. So, so no relegation from no, that. Yeah, yeah, so in July and November, that's where there could be some conversations yeah. once we've agreed what the various competitions are to, to, to qualify. Because it's in the interest of everyone to have more nations competitive on the global scale. Everybody gets that. Yeah. At the same time, the Six Nation is special. And, you know, a tournament... You know, I know we keep talking about Italy, but a tournament without Wales, etc. That is not what we believe is in the interest of a Six Nation mm. or any other union that I've just mentioned. So we are focusing our attention on, on the July and November and believe that that is in the interest of everyone involved yeah. for the game of rugby. And as you flagged, um, guessing probably what the next question was going to be, a tournament with South Africa in it as well is not on your agenda either. No, again, you know, our focus is on the July and November. Yeah. And we've been very clear from, uh, and hopefully we can get this over the line. Um, because not just that would preserve the equilibrium of the global game. Mm. And we believe that's important. 
Um, and so, again, I can't repeat it another time, but yeah, yeah that's sure. our focus. Yeah. Just as a last one, because um, our listeners may or may not know that this is your last tournament as yeah. the chief executive. Um, looking at your tenure as a whole, do you feel like you've helped change the dial, things like the Netflix thing, the names on shirts, the alignment of the autumn to make that a bit easier to understand? Do you feel like you've done what you wanted to do in rugby? Um, well, you, you're not always totally satisfied. Right? One of the things, global calendar, yeah. right? I wish. I mean, if you can I, leave I, sorting that. You've got to have done a great job. Exactly. So you know, I'll, I'll put all my efforts into yeah. into make it happen. Um, but you know, I, I'm really proud of some of those achievements in terms of having the unions collaborate off the pitch as much as they are today. I think that's a real game changer, bringing innovation to the calendar, to the centralization of some of the rights, all that at the benefit of the fans, hopefully. Mm. And that's always what drove me, was bring a better experience for our fans. Yeah. Now, we're not there yet. There's much more to come, and that's where I'm really excited about what the future holds and passing on the torch to uh, my successor in due course to make sure that uh, continues. Um, but I think you know, the, what has happened with the pandemic, et cetera, is always a reminder of how special the Six Nation is and how special international rugby is and what it means to people. When there was a time where there was a risk of a, a championship not happening, it goes far beyond sport. And so being able to come out of the pandemic with a tournament actually stronger than ever was something that wasn't easy to do, but I feel quite good about it. And hopefully, I, you know, people will agree that the tournament is in a great place. And when you look at the storylines ahead of this year's championship and uh, where to look. And, you know, while there's storylines left, right and center, you know to expect the unexpected. Yeah. So I think that's a good, that's a sign of good health for, mm. for rugby and international rugby as a whole. Just as a, a final thought, as and when you do move off to other sports and everything else, you clearly follow rugby because you're a rugby fan and you like the games and everything else. But do you feel like there's still elements where rugby can grow up and become a really proper sport that's admired around the world and, and grow into that? And how do you feel like that could be done yeah. in the next five, ten I years? Keep, I keep saying to my team that, you know, you, know um, you can't stop the unstoppable. I mean, that's what we've started, the unstoppable in a way that, that this is only the start of the journey. Um, and... But you, you need to bring all the rugby stakeholders more and more together, you know, together with our players, together with the clubs, all need to work in unison because we are all working as rugby stakeholders competing with other forms of entertainment. Yeah. So bringing people further together is a constant, you know, challenge, goal, uh, initiative. And, you know, that is the start of the journey. There's so much more to be done there. But at the same time, you need to recognize that, you know, you need to do this in sort of stumbling blocks. And, yeah, incremental and, and, steps. Yeah, yeah. Incremental step while going at pace. Yeah. So, hey, and if you don't, you'll be do. left behind, I suppose. Yeah, and you can't. So innovating and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. And if you don't do that, you're going to be left behind as a sport. Mm. And it's not just about who's going to win in rugby versus other rugby stakeholders. No, no. You want rugby to win. Yeah. And so that will require more and more collective coordination. Uh, I was going to say slowly but surely, but no, quickly but surely. Yeah, it's probably yeah. the, the right uh, the right mantra. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're a busy man, so we'll let you get back. Thanks, thanks very guys, much for coming on, Ben. Thanks for the support. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Right, so we're rattling through at pace. We've had Ben Morrell, we've had Gregor Townsend, we've had our own newsy chat about England and a few issues around there, but we probably should very quickly rattle off there was a Champions Cup weekend. We've already moved on to the Six Nations, haven't we? It comes around so fast, but um, which, what which caught might, your eye? Well, the, the fact that we've rattled on so quickly is slightly indicative of the Champions Cup yeah, thus I suppose, far. Yeah. Um, it was, I think it was Ron O'Gara who said after La Rochelle's game at Northampton that hopefully now the tournament's at a point where it can really lift off. And, and other than a couple of great uh, narratives, I think Edinburgh have done, done pretty well, although did, should they push for, for a bigger win to get a home a home last 16 tie and Ospreys have done uh, have done outstandingly well haven't they um, in, in Europe but we're really at a point now knockout stage where it does feel like like we're back on track with, with a proper humdinger of a, of a European tie um, I know one or two Quinns fans who are a little disappointed that they've got another away trip to South Africa <laughs> um, because it, it does to be fair it does rob them of, a, of an away trip Yeah, and they've got they had a South Africa trip in the pool and now one in the last 16. But it's been... There, there are a couple of stand-up performances over the weekend. I thought Edinburgh yeah. beating Saracens was... And Saracens just weren't at... They were just a, a bit off, weren't they? Just dropping balls where they don't normally. And, and got really riled up. Billy Vanapola got marched back 10 a couple of times. Maritoji yeah. was... He's liable to that Billy, mind you. Yeah. But like Schumann and those guys were really getting stuck in, which may be a precursor to well, a week or so's quite time. Quite a symbolic game, actually. Two weeks out from the, uh, the the Calcutta Cup, yeah, quite an interesting one. Um, We're talking of away trips, though. We might have to toss a coin depending on what the ga- where the games are and what days. Would you prefer watching Gloucester in La Rochelle? Have you ever been to La Rochelle? I haven't. Uh, not for rugby. Weirdly, okay. I did a I did a leg of the. We used to be called the BT Global Challenge. I don't know if it exists oh, anymore. Right. What's that? It's like a round the world yacht race. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. So we started in La Rochelle and finished in. Okay. I say I did a leg of it. I was on like a media boat where they were most of it was sailing, and then for the last bit they just put the engines on, so, could, <laughs> so we could beat everyone else into harbour and be there for the grand finale. But so, would you prefer that going to watch a game there, the champions? Yeah. Or would you prefer, if the money's right, for Stormers Quins in Cape Town in April? Uh, I'll go. Or Montpellier Exeter. That's got a good narrative so with half a, their team going to Montpellier belt, next year. Three, three extra players going there now. Well, definitely Sam Simmons and definitely Luke Cowan-Dickey. And there's um, French rumours about Harry Williams. Harry Williams too. Yeah. See, there you go. There's three great trips. I, I'll go. It's not all about the trips, but we're also looking at yeah, some fun trips in April. Where would I prefer? If they get a big crowd, if if the South African fans engage in it and recognise what a special competition this could be, if they bring it. Then that could be that would be something new. It'd be something it'd be that'd be a unique experience. Yeah, because we literally haven't done it before. So no, no. If if I could be assured of a of a real intense sort of test match type atmosphere, then I'd pick that. Otherwise, if you want that, you'd go to La Rochelle. Yeah. If you want okay. that real, the colour, the tribalism of Euro, of European rugby, which is what has always set it apart, 
then of those three, I'd pick, pick La Rochelle. Right, well, that's a battle we can fight after Six Nations ends because those fixtures are very final weekend of March and opening weekend of, Ma- of April, sorry. And then straight after that is the quarterfinals. And I think uh, unless the South African teams play each other, they're all going to be in Europe. Yeah. So if we want our big trip, we've got to do it in, a- in the beginning yeah. of April. But to sign off, we better do a, a god, goddess, devil mm. of the week. Where are you going to go? Um, I'm going to go back to Edinburgh, actually. The damn health Yes. stadium. Pierre Schumann. I just think, like I referenced just now, this sort of the Six Nations narrative layered on top of um, a massive win for Edinburgh. Yeah, Mike Blair afterwards said he they knew the, the circumstances and they didn't want to push. They didn't want to push their luck too far, accepted the win and then away... Last 16 trip to Leicester. Didn't look like Henry Burgos knew that, but anyway. No, it did not. That might have been but, Captain Hindsight there. But central to that win was Pierre Schumann, who I just thought was outstanding. And when you know, we've been in there talking to Steve Borthwick about his big priorities, fixing England scrum was the first thing. When he got the England job, the first thing he talked about was fixing England scrum. Hence Dan Cole's recall. They're going to get tested by Scotland because Scotland's front row is, is good and Pierre Schumann is leading the way yeah nice choice uh, I think I'm going to go to Wales for mine um, and last week on the podcast I was called out or I was not really called out because it was a d- direct message from someone who said I was being a bit rude because I said Wales are a bit rubbish at the moment and Ospreys might get through but does it count because fewer people go out than go through but here's my chance to make up for it and give my god of the week to Toby Booth the Englishman in Wales Gotcha. <laughs> no, he really deserves it because fantastic result beating Leicester in the 88th, 89th minute. They're through to the next stage. And I think, as we would probably all agree, if a Welsh team goes deep like the Scarlets did a few years ago, it's just good for the game, isn't it? We want to see that. It's just that they've been yeah. so poor for so long that it looks like an anomaly. But them going through is a good thing, I think. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I think you'll find a few Leicester fans would still be arguing whether there was clear evidence that that ball was over the line for the winning try. But Ospreys deserved it. All all campaign, they've been great. And, um, yeah, good on on them for representing Welsh rugby. And lucky them, they're drawing Saracens Saracens away. Yeah, Yeah. Um, that's a a tough old draw, that. But mind you, there aren't aren't many easy games, but there really aren't. I mean, if you look at the three we, we talked about before, um, Edinburgh going to Leicester. Toulouse Bulls could be a bit fun as well. Osprey's going to Saracens. I think that's what Ronan O'Gara meant. When you look at these ties, last 16 ties, they're all humdingers. Like, there should be some great knockout rugby coming up after the Six Nations. Yeah, perfect. Well, that is what we're going to concentrate on next. Next week on The Rack, we'll talk loads about the opening weekend of the Six Nations, Calcutta Cup, Wales, Ireland and Italy, France. They're the first three games. Hope you've enjoyed this Ruck, though. We've had plenty on it. Gregor Townsend, Ben Morell and all sorts else but for now we need to dash off and actually write some stuff for the newspaper plenty to get in today so hope you all enjoyed it see you next time Alex see you next time and see you all later thank you very much for listening goodbye goodbye